Hi, everybody. This is Mark Graven from Kinexus. I want to welcome you to our webinar today. It's titled A Structured Approach to Problem Solving. And very happy to have as our presenter today, Chad Westbrook from AGCO. So with that, let me introduce briefly, uh, just give a, a quick introduction um, to today's presenter. Uh, it's been really, really nice working with Chad in uh, preparation uh, for the webinar, um, Chad and AGCO, they are customers of Kinexus, and we're really happy um, that, that Chad is willing uh, to share with everybody here today. Uh, Chad is Manufacturing Engineering Manager and AGCO Production System Manager at AGCO Corporation, and Chad is going to tell us a little bit more uh, about the company and, and their products. Chad has a bachelor's degree in Mechanical Engineering Related Technologies from Kansas State University. Um, I see the purple in the shirt and tie. Those are uh, <laughs> see Kansas State <laughs> colors there, Chad. And uh, with that, I want to uh, give, give a, a warm welcome and turn things over to you. All right. Well, thanks, Mark. And uh, thanks for everybody for uh, joining us today um, and talking about uh, a structured approach to problem solving. Um, before we get into that, um, uh, AGCO isn't a name brand um, that's used around the house today. Um, so I want to give uh, just a little information about uh, what AGCO is. And AGCO is a full-line manufacturer of ag agricultural products. So we make anything from tractors, sprayers, hay equipment, harvesting equipment, um, tillage and planters as well. Um, here at Heston, um, we build uh, Combines as one of our products. We have three brands. You'll see us under Gleaner, um, Challenger, and Massey Ferguson. Um, and with that, we have uh, five models as well. We also build round balers. Um, we have two brands, both uh, Massey Ferguson and Challenger, and we make five different sizes of the round balers. Small square balers um, here at Heston, we make two brands, both Challenger and Massey Ferguson, and six different sizes of of the small square baler as well. Um, I'd, I'd say our uh, staple product here at Heston is large square balers. Um, we introduce uh, the FEMP brand to our, our large square baler models. Um, we make uh, both Massey and Challenger as well, and we have seven different uh, models or sizes of these. We also make um, the hay equipment, uh, the swathers, or the wind rowers as we call them. Um, both uh, Massey and Challenger in four different sizes, and then the pull-type uh, mowers uh, that you would see uh, typically on a windrower um, that will also fit behind your uh, tractor for cutting hay. Um, with that, the combine headers and, and uh, hay equipment headers, we make three different brands and models. Um, with that, the corn row, uh, uh, Dynaflex, Draper headers, and then the rotary headers as well. So a little bit of back, background about the Heston where we have a very diversified portfolio, I would say, um, some seasonal product um, and some product that will go throughout the year. With those products uh, and that portfolio that we have, we have found um, many opportunities or problems um, that we face in our day-to-day -day, uh, building activities. And so we structured uh, the way that we solve problems as before we were really 
just focused on the containment piece and how quickly we could um, resolve the issue. What we found with that uh, approach was that we weren't really resolving the problem. We were just, um, I would say, covering up the issues that we had. Um, although we would get uh, good product out the door, um, sometimes we would revert back to issues that we had in the past and then have to go through activities that would create a lot of struggles um, for us when we were trying to uh, correct the problem. So what we did is develop this structured problem-solving process for our Heston facility. And the tools that we use that we'll cover today will be the 5G process, um, the 5W1H or phenomena description, our 4M1D and confirmation, 5Ys, and then the level of countermeasures that are enacted when we when we define the root cause. Uh, once we get through that piece, we'll go through an AGCO example on how we use the tools. So in the structured problems process, um, we really look at the initial phenomena, and that's defined by um, anybody uh, from operator, design, uh, anybody that is at the Heston site um, what is it that is creating an issue for them today? The purpose of the structured problem-solving process is to start with the initial phenomena and then identify the root cause and corrective action. When we start with the initial phenomena, um, this establishes the finish line for us. We can go back after we look at the root cause and our countermeasures and, uh, sorry about that root cause and countermeasures, and then once we implement the countermeasures, we can uh, look at the initial phenomena and make sure that we've corrected that. So as you see our process, um, we walk through the 5Gs. This goes hand in hand with the 5W1H. Um, and as we're filling out the 5W1H, we then will get into the 4M1D and confirmation, followed by the 5Ys. And from the 5Ys, we develop the root cause, or we find identify the root cause that caused the initial phenomenon. So let's walk, a, walk through the 5G process. Our 5G process, by definition, um, is a tool used to describe the loss phenomena. This can be for safety, a quality defect, uh, a minor stoppage on the line, or a major breakdown. Um, it can be attributed to a long setup or a part shortage or et cetera. The purpose of the 5G is to describe the situation in a complete and detailed way, to keep a proper relationship between theory and practice, and to follow a logical flow during the process. This helps when we're walking through the 5W1H form to identify what the revised phenomena is. Uh, we use this when we're uh, use it the 5G during the first phase of the problem investigation. Um, and we typically walk this through with the 5W1H form so we can uh, fill that out appropriate as we're walking the problem. You'll see some of the terms uh, in 5G process. Many um, companies or industries use um, the term GIMBA, um, and that's actually going to the problem. The 5G process includes GIMBA, 
Gambutsu, Jinjitsu, Jinri, and Jinsuko. Um, and we focus really on the first three. When we look at uh, Gemba or going to the actual place, we go to the, the spot of the initial phenomena, and then we start walking that problem back through our processes, whether it be something that, uh, some components that we made in-house or even a supplier um, that might have had an issue with one of their parts, we'll get them involved through this process. So when we look at the Gemba going to the actual place that's going to the spot, the workplace, the place where the event actually happens, and don't be tempted to assume you know the problem. There may be things that you'll miss. And that's often what we found when we looked at our problem-solving activities before we instituted um, this structured problem-solving. We would assume that we understood where the problem was happening and then make our countermeasures based on those assumptions. The second, uh, gimbutsu, or the actual things, is to examine the object. The actual materials, processes, machinery, people, objectives that are actually involved in the event. And when you talk about uh, vertical integration like we are here in Heston where we do um, fab, weld, machine, uh, and laser activities where we make our own parts, um, this can lead us into walking to many different departments or value streams that we have here on site to fully understand the evolution of that part through assembly. The third one is the actual facts. Check the facts, get the real facts and analyze the actual data. What actually happened, what you can actually observe with your own eyes and separate the facts from assumptions. This is um, where we'll take into account uh, by design, how the part was designed, the tools that were used to make the part, and then the assembly processes that we use uh, when assembling. These first three are really where we focus on. Um, results in the short office meeting, um, this gets us to the shop floor instead of behind the desk trying to solve the, is the issue. The last two, Jinri and Jinsuko, um, they can be studied if the experience does not reveal the causes of the problem. So when we look at the principles um, or theory of parts, when we don't have standard work for certain operations, we can look um, either towards our planning or to the operator and get a clear understanding of what they believe um, the theory is supposed to be. That leads us into the standards and parameters discussions that we, we follow up with uh, in the 5G process. Um, there's instances where our planning may be incorrect for, for that part or the production of that part. And there could be theories that the operators make when uh, determining the best processes to make that part. From there, we can look at what we've defined as the standards and parameters, and then walk that through as we create the part and try to turn the problem on and off, and then fix what may be off. Maybe it's the operator um, that doesn't have quite the information that he needs, or maybe that the standards are incorrect and they need to be uh, modified. 
With that 5G process, I mentioned that we walk that through with the 5W1H. Um, this is our phenomenon description. This is the tool that we use in determining what the revised phenomena is. So what is the initial phenomena? Well, for us in manufacturing, it's a deviation or gap between the current condition, um, what is, what we're witnessing, and the desired condition or what should be, and the cause for the gap is unknown. So when we walk through this, uh, th the first step is just getting a clear statement from someone that might be uh, experiencing a problem and defining that initial phenomena uh, so we know what the, what the finish line is for us. What we want to get to is the revised phenomena. The, the origin of the word is Greek, means to make visible that which you cannot see. And when you start walking down this approach, um, you typically uncover uh, things that you didn't realize was happening in, in the current state that needs to be revised. I'll give you a great example that we find. We have, uh, we use um, a micrometer to check um, sizes of shafts. That is called out in our planning um, and what the operator uses that tool um, to make sure if that part is good or bad. When we walk through that path and we asked three different folks to uh, measure that shaft, we found that we got three different measurements. And that's what we want to get to in the revised phenomena. It helps us define where our gap is um, from the initial phenomena. When we look at a phenomena description, um, we start with this initial phenomenon. And in, in our past, um, when we didn't get to a revised phenomena, we often find ourselves with this vague um, initial issue that we had. It could be some superficial analysis uh, or assumptions made when we don't use the 5G and the 5W1H process to understand what we're fixing. And what it ends up doing is it broadens the scope that we're trying to fix. And when it broadens the scope, there isn't clear direction um, in the terms of being able to fix the initial phenomena that we've seen. And we get very um, many possible causes. And historically, when we looked at this, um, those many causals that we identified any one of those could have caused the initial phenomenon. We weren't sure exactly where to um, prioritize our resources into fixing the issue. So when we instituted uh, the 5W1H and the 5G process, we narrowed our scope. Um, this gave us a specific revised phenomena with deep detailed analysis using the 5G um, during the 5W1H that helped us not only communicate the initial phenomena, but helped us um, with the narrowing of the scope for the, the actual root causes or possible causes. That in turn helped us get to the root cause. So if we look at the 5W1H process, the phenomena description, we're gonna start off with the top and that's the initial phenomena. This is the basic information, dates and participants participants in the team, 
and what is the initial problem that was reported. It's just a clear statement on what someone is experiencing. From there, um, our first step is to go through the containment process. In the containment process, process we look at any containment measures necessary, um, could be damaged or failed parts accounted for, and is delivery to any other customers prevented. Are immediate measures documented and known to all parties involved? So this is typically a cross-functional team for us. Um, what we'll do is send out both or all production, quality, ME, planning to get the containment necessary so we don't pass this on to our next customer. Once this is defined, um, we start walking through the, the phenomena description or the first W in our 5W1H, and that is the what. So what happened, what is the phenomena, and can we repeat? reproduce the phenomena? Are we able to turn it on and off? What does it look like? What machine, product, or material? And what size? And how we identify this is walking that process through using the 5G. The next W um, is the when. When did it occur? Uh, when did it start? Often it could be between two different shifts. Um, when we start a new model, um, as you've seen the models that we make on each product, we have um, quite a variety of models that we make here. Um, or when in the process, right? Is this a startup problem? Is this a continuous intermittent? Do we see a pattern um, with, this, with this problem? Did it happen during shutdown or even a changeover? The third that we look at is the where. Where did we see the phenomena? Where did the phenomena occur? Or where on the equipment or material did it occur? This helps in understanding both the containment and from a revised phenomena aspect, it narrows the scope or the focus of the resources used. The fourth one is the who. Who is doing it? Who does it affect? Who can generate the phenomena? Is it an individual or group? Is it, it skill-related? In the past, we haven't had a great way to uh, communicate um, changes from, uh, just say, one operator to the next. So one operator maybe be on first shift and uh, one on second, and they might be doing things just a little bit different, such as the sequence of welds in a weldment. Um, so when we walk through the 5W1H process. This helps us identify, um, speaking in terms of the 5G, maybe different theories um, that operators are using that are causing this phenomenon. The fifth one is the which. Which trend or pattern does the phenomenon have or which direction? Which factors influence the occurrence and is it related to any process variable? Um, it could be in terms of loading parts into a fixture or assembly process if it's not sequenced properly. And this will help us determine that revised phenomena by determining what is the proper sequence. And the last one is the how and how many. Um, how's it being done? What is the extent of the phenomena? Is the process in control or do we understand fully the process? 
How has the state of equipment changed from the optimal? And how many times does the phenomena occur? Once we have this identified, we're able to get to a revised phenomena. And what we use is the 5W1H and the 5Ws and the 1H that we just went through to determine the, the revised phenomena. The result of the properly executed 5W1H is the narrowing of the scope or focus of the problem and define the revised phenomena. This gives us the ability to communicate cross-functionally issues that we've seen through different processes. An example of this um, might be on a hole, uh, where we start off with the initial phenomenon that a hole is oversized in a spacer plate. So you can see in the diagram our desired hole um, round, and then what we observed is this oblong, this red dotted line, an oblong hole. When we walk through the 5W1H um, philosophy, what we get to in a revised phenomena is that the drill um, is off angle. That revised phenomena uh, doesn't get us to the root cause um, because we don't understand why that drill is off angle, but that revised phenomena narrows that scope enough into where we can understand that something has caused the drill to be off angle and we can then walk through um, the forum 1D, the confirmation, the five Ys to understand why it is off angle. The next step in our approach uh, is using the forum 1D and then the confirmation sheet. So the forum 1D in industry standards um, is a fairly um, universal tool. It's the fishbone um, diagram or the Hishikawa. Um, and this is where we start uh, understanding the contributors to our revised phenomena. What are the major contributors? So when we walk through the, the fishbone diagram, what we do is take the revised phenomena and we insert it into our fish fishbone diagram as shown. Once we have this uh, uh, transferred, uh, the revised phenomena from the 5W1H, we'll start walking through uh, the major categories of the 4M1D, and that's material, method, machine, man, and design. Some of these don't always fit um, as the, the 4Ms could change. Um, some others um, that could have an influence would be such as your mission, uh, mother nature, management, money, maintenance. Um, so. If those categories don't fit, we'll change the, the fishbone diagram um, to meet what our needs are. As we start walking through um, the different uh, issues that we have, we'll start filling out the major contributors to um, what could be causing that revised phenomena. This is typically a brainstorming activity for us after we've done the 5G process, and we start documenting all the contributing factors related to each category, whether it be material, machine, method, man, or design. And once we get this list um, with a cross-functional team, we'll start the uh, analysis process of those. And we'll get down to 
what we feel or what we've witnessed is important and take out the ones that are trivial. And what I've seen in, in practice is if you have four or five, uh, that's, that's typically the, the max that I see um, as a contributing factor. If you get 10 or 20, you probably want to revisit the revised phenomena um, as something's typically off there and you haven't quite got to that point yet. So what we do, eliminate the trivial, non-important causals or, and cross them off, and then discuss the remaining causes. Decide which are important and circle them. Once we have this uh, 4M1D filled out, we'll go, then go into a confirmation. Um, filling out the confirmation is simply a transfer of all important causes that you found on the 4M1D. So what we'll do is we'll put in the 4M category, um, material, man, machine, and method, or design. Uh, we'll put the contributing factors, um, the cause item, what we found, and then we'll find a way or define a way to be able to turn this on or off. Once we do that, we'll, we'll walk through the confirmation. So we'll put a check on any issue that we found that is okay and what is not okay, and that helps us get to a point where we can focus and get through the five whys in determining the root cause. The five whys piece, um, another standard tool uh, from the lean methodologies, uh, is a simple problem-solving tool that helps you identify a countermeasure. When we walk through the five whys um, methodology or the process, we transfer all non-confirmed, not okay effects from the confirmation sheet onto the five whys. We start by asking why the problem is happening. And asking why sounds simple, and I, I've seen this in the industry, uh, but answering it requires thought and an intelligent application. So you can clearly walk the path from the revised phenomena through the contributing factors, and then through the, the five whys process. And it gives you a path of how it started, and in terms of how we use Conexus, helps us when we look at uh, Kaizen expansion, because we can follow that process and see if we've made that same error, that same opportunity through that process. Um, this must account for the things that we've, that we've actually witnessed or happened, and we eliminate the guesses uh, of what might have happened or the assumptions. The number five is not important. Um, continue asking why until you've reached an effective countermeasure and you can go no further. So uh, the past should make sense when you read in reverse using the statement, therefore. I'm going to walk you through an example of a, a machine example that, that we've used here. So a good example is you discover a coolant on the floor from a, a machine, a leak. Why is it there? Well, the coolant is leaking from the machine. Why is that? It's because a seal was damaged. Historically, this is where we would have stopped and we would have replaced the seal without understanding the actual root cause. If we keep on going further, we'll see that the metal shavings got into the coolant. And why was that? 
and the coolant pump guard allowed the shavings to pass behind the coolant screen. That gets us to um, an effective root cause. Now we understand what actually caused the seal to go out in the equipment. And it leads, leads us to an effective countermeasure where we can design and install a new guard over the screen. And if we use the therefore um, theory, we can walk this back. The coolant pump guard allowed shavings to pass behind a coolant screen. Therefore, metal shavings got into the coolant. Therefore, a seal was damaged. Therefore, coolant is leaking from the machine. And therefore, you discover coolant on the floor. So it's an effective approach to understand that you can tell this story and you understand exactly how uh, this coolant got onto the floor. So just as a review um, from the structured problem-solving process um, that we use, we start with the 5G and the 5W1H forms. Um, we get to a revised phenomena. We then go into the 4M1D potential phenomena uh, where the contributing factors are identified. Um, once we have the contributing factors identified, um, we'll carry those over to the confirmation sheet um, where we'll fill out and transfer the, the potential contributing factors to the confirmation, um, identify which ones are okay and which ones have opportunity to be fixed. Um, from the ones that check um, not okay, we then transfer those over into the 5Y analysis. Um, from the 5Y analysis, we carry the revised phenomena, the contributing factors, and the 5Y approach. Get to the contributing factor root causes. Um, that are identified, and then we'll get into the actions or tasks that we need uh, to to effectively um, effectively put in the countermeasures needed so this won't happen. And this is where we get into how we utilize Conexus. Uh, step five would be to create the task in Conexus for our Kaizen um, to effectively uh, implement the countermeasures that we need. Once we have those, we've also looked at the levels of countermeasures and controls that we put into place. Uh, we use um, four different types of countermeasures uh, here at the Heston facility. Um, and this typically speaks in terms of cost and risk. Um, the most effective countermeasures that we put, um, the defect elimination, air proofing, this is where we can go back through design and uh, design the problem out. Um, the least effective that we have, um, and typically how we handle is the one-offs that we um, see, is the defect aware awareness. So if you kind of walk the path, the defect awareness, um, that's the use of visual controls, training, documentation, or communication to give operators information that may help prevent this defect. It's just making them aware of, that a defect has happened and the, the root cause of where it happened. Defect detection um, is a countermeasure that we use. It's a test or validation um, or inspection the product to catch defects before they are passed on to the next customer. 
And we put these in place uh, using the quality network uh, that we have using the quality matrix as well. And this will put a stop gap uh, in front of passing some one-off uh, uh, problems that we see to the next customer by a quality inspection. The defect prevention, mistake proofing and pokeyoke that we use, uh, mistake proofing the product or process to minimize the chance of uh, making a defect. This could be in terms of using uh, such tools as go-no-go -no -go gauges um, so they can check or validate uh, the measurement that we are supposed to get by design before we pass it on. Or we could look at a pokey yoke. Uh, this is a better tool for us where it can't be installed incorrectly. Um, and then the last one is the defect elimination. It's there, approve the product or process to completely eliminate the opportunity of the making of the defect. And the design works closely with us in, in preventing these, uh, making the changes necessary so they don't get passed on to our operators or assemblies or the, the next uh, customer. So that's our process that we use. Um, I'm gonna walk you through a kind of real world example so we can uh, see how this process has been implemented here at the Heston site. So we're gonna look at uh, air leaks um, after assembly. Um, this is in regards to a um, air ride suspension on our 9980 model wind rower that we've seen uh, when the new model year came out. So using the 5G process, uh, Gimba and Jimbutsu, uh, we examined, or we went to the occurrence and we examined the objects. And what you can see, um, this is the air ride suspension that we have underneath our uh, cab. And then this is the pump and the hoses that are used to air up their suspension. So we walked out there, we examined both the objects and where the occurrences happened. We then go through by design and understand what was design's intent. So we'll pull up the drawings and understand the intent of the design and the components. From here, we can walk through uh, the 5W1H form and we'll get to uh, the initial phenomena being the air ride leaks after assembly on the 9980 wind rowers We'll take that to a revised phenomena. Using the 5W1H, we got to the air leak on the tractor cab suspension assembly um, occurring between the, both the air hose and the air fittings. From there, we took uh, the contributing factors that we found using uh, man machine method and material and design and we identified the contributing factors, which would be the air hose um, not to spec, the air fittings not to spec from the material side. Um, from the design side, it could be correct air hoses and fittings used. Did the intent or the design side of it, did we use the correct one? And are they compatible? And then the method, um, did we have correct work instructions? available to the operators, and did the operators have the correct tools to, to do their job. From there, we go to the confirmation sheet. So we'll look, uh, we'll transfer those 
contributing factors over to the confirmation. We'll look at from the material side, the air hose, um, not to spec. Uh, from the material side, the air fittings, those both checked good. When we got to the design side and we understood the correct air hose and fittings, you'll notice that this was the first one that was not okay. Um, the incorrect hose was being used for the fittings called out. And then also a contributing factor is that we weren't using the correct tools um, to install the hose to the fittings. From the confirmation, now that we have what is not okay, we walked through the five whys. And we looked through the incorrect hoses uh, and fittings being used, and we asked ourselves why. And when we asked ourselves why, we didn't consider the compatibility of the components with the actual fitting to the hose. This asking ourselves why again, um, the hose was not approved to use with the push fittings, therefore we couldn't put it together. So if we walk this back, hose is not approved um, with the push fittings, therefore um, design didn't consider the compatibility, therefore the incorrect hose was being used for the fittings. You also see this in the same process with the tools being used. So using the pliers and lube when it should be able to install by hand or click by design. Um, why was that? The incorrect hose was being used with the fittings called out. Why? Well, we didn't consider the, the um, hose and the compatibility of the, the fittings. That leads us into uh, the root cause piece and then the corrective action or task taken to correct these, uh, to correct the design. So you'll see that the, the task was to change the hose to meet the fitting specs, and that also eliminated the use for tools um, from the operator standpoint that changed the hose to meet the fitting spec uh, with the same root cause and, and corrective actions. And this is how we introduce uh, the issues into Connexus. So in our Connexus form, what we use here um, is a PDCA, Plan, Do, Check, Act uh, methodology, where we take the initial phenomena that the ride leaks with the 9980, we get it to the revised phenomena, we understand the root cause um, for this one, the inside diameter, the current hose does not match the diameter of the fitting, causing it to not properly seat onto the fitting and this led to the leaks and difficulty of the installation. We have the solution description, what we need to do. We also enter the tasks associated with that, what tasks we need to do to correct this problem, and then we do uh, a, the SMART validation. What's it cost on the company to have these uh, rejects plus uh, the cost of the project? And that's how we walk through and connect this to make sure that the proper countermeasures are put in place um, to resolve the issues and what it costs the company. So in summary, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> um, we've overviewed the structured problem solving process, um, the, the use of the 5G tool with the 5W1H, the phenomenal description, um, 4M1D and the confirmation, how that correlates to the five whys, 
our level of countermeasures and controls, and then the uh, AGCO example. So with that, um, I'm going to turn it back over to Mark for Q&A. Um, Chad, thank you for, thanks for the presentation. As we, we, we've got some questions already, we'll give a little time for more questions to come in, uh, do a few quick announcements in the meantime. Uh, first off, I want to tell you about upcoming webinars. If you're a Kinexus customer, the ever popular Office Hours series with Ryan Rippey and Matt Banna is going to be held again on May 30th, 2019. It's a great way to learn about new features in Kinexus and, and learn uh, some, some better ways or, or you know, learn some new ways or different ways of using Kinexus software. Our next presentation style webinar that is open to everybody, if you can go back, please, real quick, Chad, uh, is going to be presented on uh, June 5th. Uh, our, our friend and another customer of Kinexus, Chris Burnham, he is Continuous Improvement Program Manager at Wright Medical. Um, we're still getting the title uh, worked out and, and finalized, but take a look at www.kinexus.com for when that's posted, or if you go there today, there is a link you can click on to sign up to be notified about future webinars via email. Also wanna tell you about some uh, additional resources. We of course have our uh, webinars on demand library that you can find. There's a link on the main webinars page. We also wanna let you know about our blog, which you can find at blog .kinexus.com, and there's also a tab there. You can see where it says blue and improvement. That's the, the general blog. There's also a customer blog. Next, um, want to tell you about something that I've partnered up with Kinexus on. Uh, we're doing a book giveaway. So I'm going to be giving away three signed paperback copies of uh, my book, Measures of Success. React less, lead better, improve more. So that's open to our Kinexus community. Um, you can go to leanblog.org slash Kinexus giveaway. And if you enter by uh, May 24th, um, you'll be eligible to, to be one of the three winners of the signed paperback book. And that URL will be in the slides if you wanna go and, and look at those and download them. Again, using the handout section of the control panel or look in the chat box or we'll email you a link tomorrow. Final thing we want to mention is our podcast series. Go to kinexus.com slash podcast or you can find us in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Um, we will be posting the audio of Chad's presentation today, if you want to, to revisit that or um, listen to it again um, while, while you're driving or on a walk or something, that will be part of the podcast feed. We we'll encourage you to sign up, uh, subscribe, and if you like the podcast, please rate and review the podcast as well. So with that, let's go into uh, Q&A. Um, so first off, um, from Ruben, there, there's the kind of, you know, thank you. And then a question here he says, first and foremost, thank you for sharing um, your systematic problem solving model um, with regards to your information on the measurement on the shafts with micrometers. It's a, a I think it's a statement, good use of gauge r, &R with the operators, but his question and anything else you want to um, comment on Chad, he asks, are the micrometers located in a tool crib or are they in operator toolboxes? 
Yeah, so we have both. What we do is uh, there's a calibration um, sequence that we use. So on certain machining centers, um, our quality techs will go out and calibrate uh, our tools such as micrometers, um, anything that we might use. What we what we find um, in, in terms of just micrometers in general is from operator to operator, they hold them just a little bit different. And as we hold very tight tolerances here, um, what we'll see is just the way that we use them will give us a just a bit different value. What this typically doesn't lead into an issue if you're running at nominal, but if you're run, running at the top of tolerance um, that we allow with the different operators measuring the equipment, um, it'll actually kick it out of spec. So what we've found um, for a better reference or a better tool for the operators is actually go no-go gauges that aren't operator dependent on how they hold or read the tool. Okay, let's see. Um, question from Eric. So, what you learned through this discovery and your real life example, did that get applied anywhere else with other products? It did, um, and great question. So, what we were able to do is we were able um, to look at our new product introduction um, as this, this was actually called out in a different product and before it got launched, in our Kaizen expansion piece that we use, um, we were able to catch um, the the use of that hose on a different product and stop it before it was released to production. Great, great example of uh, spreading that learning. Um, let's see, Mike asked, how long on average does it take to run through this full process? Is there a recommendation if there's a shorter time requirement? So what happens if is it, what happens if you're in a rush? Is it possible to accelerate the process, or does does that run the risk of um, defeating the purpose? Yeah, and that, that's a very good question for us because um, we initially, when we rolled out this process, we actually put a time frame that that we wanted these complete, and what we found is. The quality um, of both the countermeasures and the effective ability to get to the root cause um, led us to get rid of the time frame. Um, as we understood that we were going to uh, hold the containment activities, um, the first step in our 5W1H, to hold anything that might be passed to our next cu customer, whether it be internal or external, we felt the need to really focus on the quality of the of both the root cause and countermeasures, so we took away that that time aspect in in this process. Okay, thanks, Chad. Um, Sue asks, we all know the hardest part of change is sustaining it. How do you make sure countermeasures are sustained uh, through this process? Yeah, so if you look and um, our both. From a cross-functional team, right, we, we carry both production, um, our ME group, our planning group, our logistics group, um, design is in there, our quality group. And when they lead these through, when we look at our level of controls that we put in place, we try to design the problem out. 
so you don't have this um, issue or have to worry about the sustainment um, of the countermeasures put in place. And when we start walking down that path and we really look at the revise, from the revised phenomena to the root cause, um, and, and we struggled at this in the past, and, and there's often opportunity today. Um, but when you get to the, the root cause, the countermeasures really become um, sustainment within themselves. And you don't have to revisit these issues. Mm -hmm. For the ones that we have that we do, um, you'll look in our level of controls. Uh, the quality group does a very good job at um, using the quality network to keep this um, issue out in front of, of the cross-functional team. They'll do checks for 30, 60, 90 days um, on the issues that we haven't been able to, to design out to make sure that they're not uh, coming back. Got a question uh, from Carlos here. When you do an Ishikawa event or uh, a fishbone process, fishbone diagram process, what's the ratio of experts and non-experts in the process? You, um, what's that ratio that uh, of the people you invite? Some people like to invite only the experts, Others don't agree because non-experts give, give a different view. Um, so, so what are your thoughts on the, that balance, experts versus non-experts? Yeah, and that's, that's a good question. And we're structured just a little bit different, and we're structured in a way of value stream. And so we have different uh, value streams that are set up. One's by product um, from the assembly side, and then it's by core competency on our component side. So laser... Um, fab, machine, weld, um, those are our core competencies here. Um, what we'll see is this cross-functional team of both assembly and components um, meeting together and through the revised phenomena being able to communicate this back and forth to, one each, uh, to each other. So there isn't necessarily an expert that you'd see in there as much as a very well-structured cross-functional team that understands um, both levels of engagement. Okay, let's see. Um, so when you have this methodology, who do you give this training to and how do you go about training and then coaching people on this methodology? So, so at our site, um, is right around a, a thousand employees here at the Heston site. Everybody's been through the training, um, the structured problem-solving training. What you'll find is pockets, right? And as we talk about the cultural change um, that we're shifting through our lean methodologies, um, you'll see certain people that that are experts or really do well in the problem-solving approach. And you'll see some that just haven't had that opportunity um, or that involvement. What you see or what I see in, in this organization is um, this gets better with practice. It's, it, it's an evolution for us. Um, when we rolled this out, we didn't have the 5G process. So we filled the form out, the 5W1H, um, setting behind the desk. And we made a lot of assumptions. And as you practice this methodology of problem solving, 
you get better and better. The questions get better and better, and you really start deep diving into the root cause. And what we would see from a year ago to today is when we looked at the 4M1D, every block would have been filled out. To today, you see about four or five blocks filled out that really understand and correlate to that revised phenomena. And when you get just those four or five that you see through practice, that root cause really comes out. And then the countermeasures are fairly easy to define once you understand the root cause. Yeah. Let's see. Um, Jorge asks, um, how do you involve all employees to have um, good analysis through this problem solving? It's, it's, that, that's a good question as well. What what we found is um, the at the level of communication that you can communicate the path or the initial to revise to root cause is a great determining factor in how well the tools um, and the practice is being applied. The folks that really grasp the concept and able to run um, with it, such as our quality department. Um, they can speak very intelligently about how this initial phenomena um, made it to one of our customers. Um, some folks that don't or, or don't have the ability to perform this on a day-to-day, -day, um, you can see that the, the answers um, to the revised phenomena and root cause are typically more vague. And that's where the coaching piece of it comes in. So they'll report out on the revised or the initial revised and root cause. And then that's where the questions start coming up. And if you can't tell a clear story on how you got to the root cause, that's where we can go back and use um, coaching as one of them um, to walk through that process again and redefine the revised phenomenon and root cause. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's see. I'm going to combine a couple. There are similar questions here. Is uh, this methodology, how would you compare it to, there's other methodologies like uh, DMAIC, PDCA, 8Ds, Toyota Kata. What would your, um, I guess, uh, there's, come on, let's just kind of throw that at you. There's probably a couple of different ways to answer this. So. Yeah, yeah. And so we don't, we typically use PDCA or, or DMAIC as, in terms of projects that we want to roll out and not in terms of problems that we want to fix. And oftentimes that I've seen in, uh, let's just say Demaic, and for the folks that are, um, we can throw out a bunch of acronyms, right? It's define, measure, analyze, incorporate, and control. Um, from a project standpoint, standpoint that works really, really well. The change that I would say for us is really in that 5G and that evolution of getting the 5G into our process. Because using such as, uh, and there isn't nothing wrong with DMAIC, we, we typically use that um, methodology uh, for our projects and not the day-to-day. -day. And I think what you'll see is just the time frame that you use or that we use in the in the 
structured problem solving is shortened by using this approach. Hmm. So here's another question. Um, in your experience, maybe you can tell a story uh, along these lines. Why is it important to narrow down the scope? I mean, you touched on that a little bit, but do you have any yeah. other stories? Yeah, so historically what we've found is we would try to, it's basically eating an elephant. And I'd say that we tried to eat it in, in one bite and you didn't get into the details. And I'll talk specifically, um, one of the things that we look at is the efficiency of our process, right? And we wanna make uh, a gain in the efficiency in our processes today. Well, we would look more holistically at, at the, the processes and then define projects that we could affect those without really diving into the weeds and understanding um, issues such as component manufacturing, right? And when you look at it holistically, it gives you a little bit different viewpoint than when you really dive into the weeds and you understand what we're giving um, or what we're saying is the process versus what is actually being done. And once you dive into that, um, you start knocking off these smaller instances, it's really eating that elephant one bite at a time for us. And you can mm -hmm. see in the Kaizen expansion then, that ability of what you found or what you identified as the root cause in one to be expanded, and that speeds up the process for us. Okay, thanks. And then maybe uh, the last question here, uh, Jorge again. Um, how do you go about um, a process confirmation of uh, the tools used. So maybe he's asking, how, how do you how do you kind of oversee if people are using um, the tools properly? Or I'll add in you know, something else, you know, I was um, wondering about. You know, it's really tempting sometimes for people to jump into a five wise discussion. Um, so either just generally, how do you make sure these different methods are used in a systematic way? And what, what do you do if someone's trying to sort of jump ahead or jump through steps of, of this methodology? Absolutely. So I got two ways, uh, I think, to answer this. One is the confirmation, which is it, it's fun for us to get into the confirmation, the 4M1D confirmation, because what it gives us the ability to do is replicate the problem that we're seeing, that initial phenomena. And we will really analyze in the confirmation whether or not we can turn that problem on or off. And when we get into that uh, confirmation piece, it, it's kind of the aha moment that we get when we're able to look at uh, what we define as a contributing factor, replicate that, it, um, that contributing factor and see if it actually turns that initial phenomena on and off for us. That, that's a really great feeling for the team. The other piece is uh, the confirmation of the process in general. And what we do um, every Wednesday is we go through the Kaizans um, and the folks present the Kaizans um, to our staff. And what it does is it allows them to tell the compelling story of here's what we saw. We walked through this process. Um, here's our revised phenomena. And then here's the root cause that we got it, got to. When they walk through that process, um, there's often there's questions that are asked, right? And if the questions don't 
correlate to the root cause that was found, um, mm. we'll re just, we reject the Kaizen and we'll then use that, that time as a coaching opportunity and we'll walk it through it uh, with them again. All right. Well, Chad, thank you so much for a uh, really informative, helpful presentation. Um, great practices, really good examples. And uh, thank you to everyone who attended and, and thanks for your questions. So you can see Chad's email address is there on screen. If you've got follow-up questions, again, we will be sending out a link to the recording and the slides. Um, if you want to revisit that or share it with others, we certainly encourage you to do so. Uh, check out the webinars on demand library, kinexus.com slash webinars. And final reminder on uh, the book giveaway contest, I'll put the link in uh, the chat here. You go to leanblog.org slash kinexus giveaway. Um, you can enter to win uh, one of three copies that we're partnering up on giving away. So there's a link in the chat box. Uh, it's in the slides that you'll get sent to you tomorrow. And uh, Chad, thank you. And on behalf of um, everyone here at Connexus, um, thank you everyone who attended today. Have a good day. Thanks everyone.